Hey folks, the Brian Campbell coming at you with an In This Corner Instant Analysis Podcast. Just a heads up, we recorded this Sunday night directly after WWE Extreme Rules came to a close and the audio quality, well, it may not be the exact same you come to know from the studio version each week, but let it be known, the passion, the analysis, the fuel, oh man, it'll hit you right in the fuel spot just the same. So buckle up, get ready for some performance-enhancing audio coming your way. Enjoy. the east coast in this corner with brian campbell instant analysis recap of the extreme rules wwe pay-per-view i'm nick costos joined alongside the man on the marquee brian campbell and of course the silver king adam silverstein we will dispense with pleasantries and the introductions because as i said it's midnight on the east coast and also i was day drinking earlier today so let's get right into it with our wow right right off the bat we're just coming we're putting it putting your life right out there i love that i was day drinking today in miami it was absolutely fantastic in a related story i'm tired so let's try and get this done as fast as possible bc your grade macro thoughts we'll hit the specifics as we move along but your overall grade here for the extreme rules card well, to put ourselves over, I'll grade us an A plus for giving the people what we want. Day, you know, day drinking or not, we're bringing it to you right after the pay per view, like we always do. Look, I'm gonna straight up give this a B plus grade. This was a very good pay per view. At times, it was damn good. Was it perfect? No. There's times when a pay per view can entertain you without fully making a ton of sense, and there were some moments in this card where that was really the truth, with the stipulations really not making sense. Overall, when you look at it, it's called Extreme Rules. Really, wasn't that extreme? I mean, I think that sometimes is the issue with this title because you expect almost a TLC type card. Does the Extreme and Extreme Rules really just mean? Every stipulation is different. That's a side debate. Wasn't that extreme? Was entertaining, and the fans did go home happy, which we'll talk about shortly with that Fatal 5-Way main event. When you can give a swerve, when you can leave us wanting to talk about the future and how this plays out, you got you to gotta give this card its credit top to bottom. A strong B+. I was entertained all the way through, even if a few times I'm like, yeah, I don't know where I don't know why we did this, but it worked. All right, Silver King, we got a B plus from the Brian Campbell. What is your grade here for Extreme Rules? You know, it's a solid B for me. I call it stipulations aplenty because yeah, it really wasn't actually extreme. But I will tell you, it was entertaining, and that's really what's important. They booked it really well. Each individual match, they also scheduled the entire event really well too. Just the order of the matches, how they kind of presented it. So Extreme Rules, a solid B for me. It's easy to get down on pay-per-views when WWE presents them, especially when you go into it with a six-match card, and they only put the kickoff match on like at 5 p.m. the day before, the, the day of. Uh, so it's easy to kind of be, you know, disgruntled kind of going into it and not expect a lot. They exceeded my expectations, so that's why it's a B. I'm going to give it a B here, trending up towards a B plus. I really liked some of the matches. I thought there was some excellent in-ring work tonight. That Neville uh, Austin Aries match I thought was very good. I thought the IC title match was very good with the exception of the the referee telling. Yes. Yeah, it was pretty good. The referee crap at the end of the uh, the Miz Ambrose match I thought was pretty dumb. Other stuff I thought was kind of dumb we'll get into over the course of the podcast. I hated the women's match, but a fantastic main event I think really did save the card for me. I don't know if I can go as high as a B plus, but it's closer to a B plus than it is to a B minus for me. Agreed. But I will stick with yeah, a and- B. 
and look, opinions are always going to be varied on things. My timeline was a mess of, of people really hating on this card. By the time that steel cage main event ended or the steel cage title match ended, people all over my timeline go, what are you crazy? This this card stunk for this reason, this reason, this reason. Some of those reasons justified. But again, sometimes you got to separate from the, uh, hey, it's not going to be the perfect story that you hope to, to see play out when you came in. But was it worth your time? Sometimes that's a major player in, in how you look back and judge it. Yeah, Brian, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but I think that you're absolutely right. And I feel like like the modern wrestling fan, like, what are you expecting from this card? Like, were you expecting, like, a WrestleMania, like, in theory, quality card here? From, from Extreme Rules here, like, clearly the build here is towards SummerSlam. Everything is structured around SummerSlam at this point, maybe with the exception of Money in the Bank, because who the hell knows what's going to happen with that. But, like, what are fans expecting? Like, were you expecting, like, WrestleMania 17 tonight from Extreme Rules? Bottom line, like you said, right. Money. I walked away entertained. I thought it was pretty good. I thought the last SmackDown pay-per-view was pretty good, too. I've been satisfied with the product WWE's been giving us. You know, and the big reason, before I cut you off there, Adam, big reason why it was so good was the soundtrack that the Baltimore crowd gave you. They gave you high energy start to finish. That sort of underwrit what you were watching out there. I thought it really came together well. Yeah, you know, your options tonight were a 20-point NBA Finals game or Extreme Rules, a cage match with the Hardy Boys, and a fatal five-way Extreme Rules main event. I watched both. I had one streaming uh, on the computer. The other was on the TV. Guess which one was on the TV? It was Extreme Rules, and it deserved to be there. Yeah, the one thing I'm going to say is that the Baltimore crowd, it, it was good. L let's not get nuts here and say that this is, you know, Chicago at Money in the Bank in 2011 yeah, or like Madison Square Garden, buddy. They, they, hey. The Baltimore crowd was okay. It wasn't, hey, it wasn't they outperformed Chicago at Backlash, though. You know that. You know they did. They were hot fire when they needed to be yeah. this time around, and I'm tough might, on they, crowds. You know, the Raw card might have been a little better here, and the Raw card was headlined, of course, by the Fatal Five-Way match, won in surprising fashion by Samoa Joe. Brian Campbell, first word to you here on what I thought was a pretty excellent main event. Look, this was a fantastic main event. This is about an A minus. I think this will be in the conversation at the end of the year for for 2017 match of the year. I don't think that's a crazy statement to make. Filled with star power, very strongly booked in terms. I thought it was creatively booked. I liked the way it booked. And then when you have the big swerve at the end, where you come out of here setting up the stage for the future. So you come out of here with something to talk about. That's all good. The middle of the match, a 30-minute match in the end, the middle of the match I thought was really well done. I mean, yes, you got your big spots. Yes, you got some of these big moments, you know, the uneasy union between the two heels, Samoa Joe and Bray Wyatt. Good storytelling in there. But what I really liked about the, let's say, the meat of this match was everybody got their showcase. And, in, and there's not times where everybody deserves their showcase. But when you have a main event with five big names like this and you spend a long time setting it up by just showing good, strong wrestling on Raw, whether that in the end was the best way to build it or not, to be able to present a 30-minute match where each each superstar had their section, where it looked like they were on a run, where it looked like they might be able to steal a pin. I thought the, the, the overall sharing of the wealth there and the way they set it up to that finish and with that finish really leading you to believe that, that Finn Balor would go over and then, of course, the swerve at the end. Well done top to bottom. I don't really think there's anything negative I can say about this match as a whole. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, listen, they raised expectations here. They were saying, we're going to build this up over three, four weeks, and this is going to be a huge match. It's really important. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be spectacular. And they delivered. Now, I'm not necessarily going to give it an A- minus for the match itself, and I'm not going to go so far as to say it's match of the year caliber when we've already gone over a couple that were just really outstanding. Oh, it's already, in the conversation. Don't... But no, no, I'm, I'm not poo-pooing it. It was good. There's, you I'm are poo-pooing it, no, be I'm honest. Not, I'm not you just, I'm just, you just started with 15 seconds of poo-pooing it and then going, I'm not poo-pooing it. You are poo-pooing it, be honest. True. Me saying it's not a match of the year isn't me, me poo-pooing it. I, I just don't think it's 
the, one of the top five matches I've seen already this year. It's still great. Well, what didn't I you like it. about it? It started what didn't very, you like about it? Up until Balor kind of went on his run in the middle of the match, it was extremely slow. And we had already seen the Samoa Joe Bray Wyatt team up thing. That went on too long. It, it just was very formulaic until Balor went on his run. Once he went on his run, business picked up in a massive way. And from there to the end of the match, it was spectacular. But the beginning portion of that match, I did find myself bored the first five to ten minutes. All right, thanks a lot, Jim Ross, for the business picking up line. Uh, what do you? It's a thirty-minute match. What are they going to do? Tear the house down from start to finish? I mean, you need some time to build a foundation, Silver King. It's I been mean, done before. Geez, I no, I got to support the criticizing Van Gogh here. I mean, the match was was superb, and yeah. I actually walked away, Brian. I'll, I'll I'll let you respond to Silver King here, but. When I walked, when it first ended, I'm thinking to myself, all right, people are going to be very overreactionary about this and say match of the year, match of the year. As time has gone on here since it ended, and we're about an hour, hour plus since it ended here, and Bryce, since you just talked, I don't know if it is the match of the year. I don't think that it is. A couple matches I like more. It was really, really damn good. That was a four-star main event. Look, 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 how did I cap it? I put the ceiling that it's in the conversation. It deserves to be in the conversation because multiple-person matches don't always work out. Sometimes they're too spot-heavy. Sometimes there's no story. To counter what, what Silver King said, what I did like about the building of the match was that I was into the building of it. And there are some very great matches that we all love. That If you go back and watch the first 10 minutes of that great 30-minute match, a lot of times that first 10 minutes is very slow and plotting. I didn't think we had them there. So I will counter you, Silver King, and say first 10, 15 minutes, there were a lot of little mini moments in here, a little mini storytelling mini moments. Mini storylines, exactly. Agreed. felt yeah. like a mini Royal Rumble. There were times when Seth and Roman first faced off. There was some was energy very there. Yeah. You know, you had Balor going on that little run for a while with that Topic and Hilo to put down all three all three outside. I mean, you had the beginning of that Bray Joe teaming up, a couple teases that they were going to break apart. Then you had some weapons. There was a story they told there for a while with the chairs and the steps. Overall, again, like I said, I can't take anything away from it. We can pick at it all you want. But really, it's all about the ending in the end, right? You, you know, yes, and, 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 and a super hot finish to this match. And how about Samoa Joe? And like you said, very interesting camera work there after the coup de grace from Finn Balor to Roman Reigns. You, you can't see anything else. You think that Balor's about to win. And BC, what happens is it looks like Finn Balor's about to pull this one out. You know, you got Samoa Joe coming in out of nowhere and sticking on the Coquina clutch. And they set that Coquina clutch up earlier in the match, I thought, a couple times where he false started it. Where it looked like he was going to get it on thick on somebody and you'd see if they were going to put that move over. And then, of course, like happened a lot in this match, somebody comes in from left field and breaks it up. I loved not just the swerve finish of giving it to the guy who you least would have thought would have won it under any kind of storylines you could have predicted, but allowing his finisher to be destructive in there, allowing an actual finish where somebody didn't tap out, they passed out. So you don't hurt Finn Balor. And look, I'm not always all about protecting somebody when you don't need to, but it is a good protection of him. You allow him to fall straight asleep on, on, on what was a tough move from behind that he couldn't defend. And I thought the buildup to where it thought you thought Balor was going to win really worked out because that was the most logical pick they set it up well when he hit that coup de gras had that feeling like you guys probably had of all right pretty predictable here right like the worst thing that could happen was roman won now this was a good scenario with finn balor winning but pretty predictable and then when you have samoa joe coming in off camera from left oh they got us here they got something here that's when you start getting fired up that's when you're like you know what mama give me that green light because i'm ready to go and i'm not even talking about <laughs> driving a car right now you know what I'm saying? A, a, a couple thoughts before we spin this forward here to great balls of fire um very very good spot fest there towards the end when you had the roman reigns double spear through the ring barrier then you had the seth rollins frog splash 
through the table on the outside, and then the spots at the end leading up to Samoa Joe forcing Finn Balor to pass out to the Coquina Clutch. Samoa Joe, the number one contender for the Universal Championship, will face Brock Lesnar in five weeks at Great Balls of Fire. Now, I watched the, uh, the what's the name of the freaking show they do afterwards? Not Raw Talk. Talk. Smack, Raw, Raw Talk. I watched that afterwards. Samoa Joe was absolutely awesome on it. He was really good, and he sold the hell out of that match coming up here. So let's get our initial thoughts here on that main event, Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe. This has been called a dream match of sorts in the past. How do we feel about this, Bri? You, uh, does it hit you in the old feel spot here, Samoa Joe and Brock? Look, big feel spot, a couple reasons. One, one without a doubt, the physical quality that you're going to see. I mean, there's a lot of potential for for this to be a ma- just a brawl. A lot of potatoes being fired, potential for hard way. I really like it the most is because it, it breaks up the monotony on the title level. Like we said, they could have gone Finn Balor, and it could have been a long three, four-month program, and it would have been great. This shows you, though, while it mixes up, it breaks up the monotony, it shows you that we're probably headed toward a one-off. And if it's a one-off heading into SummerSlam, this is the right guy, right? Because you're going to get a fun physical match. You know Joe's not going over, but you know you're going to be entertained by it. It's a match you didn't think you'd have a chance to see on the title level for sure. And it shows you that they've got different plans for SummerSlam. So I think it spices up the, the summer. It spices up where we're headed. We know eventually Braun Strowman's going to come back. I'm really excited about them going in this direction. You know what else it means for Great Balls of Fire? It means we're going to see Roman Reigns, Bray Wyatt, Finn Balor, and Seth Rollins in other meaningful matches against each other. So we're not going to get stuck in the same situation we were in, in this pay-per-view with Braun Strowman out where they said, ah, let's just all throw them together, which, again, worked out. Great match. But we're going to see these guys pair up and have some really exciting matches at this pay-per-view. So I'm geeked not just for Brock Lesnar, Samoa Joe, which you just laid it out. I'm not going to repeat it. Sounds great. I'm excited for are we going to get, you know, Reigns Wyatt and Rollins Finn Balor in, 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 at Great Balls of Fire? Like, I'm excited for that. On the match, I want to add one quick thing. You mentioned about the kind of sore finish. I love that. SmackDown has now conditioned us to expect the unexpected. So when we go into a SmackDown pay-per-view now, we know Jinder Mahal can win the title or this strange finish might happen or so on and so forth. Raw hasn't done that. It's been boring. It's been monotonous. And by giving Samoa Joe this win, they're carrying that booking over from SmackDown. And they're saying, on this show too, fun things are going to happen. Unexpected things are going to happen. And you need to watch every week. And that's what that accomplished tonight. Uh, I, th- I think yes and no there. I don't think it's fair to look at like, what they've done the last couple months here and then extrapolate that into what we've seen over a long period of time. But you are right here that Raw did take the uh, the cue from SmackDown, gave us the surprise finish there. So again, Samoa Joe, Brock Lesnar, made event of Great Balls of Fire. Before we move down the rest of the card here, Bri, I want to get your thought on this here because we have a lot of fans that listen to this podcast, I'm sure, that watch wrestling other than WWE. Now, I'm a guy who, I've watched TNA in the past, but for the most part, I'm a WWE guy. I don't watch a ton of Ring of Honor. I don't watch a ton of the Japanese products. I watch WWE. So for the fan out there right now that's listening here, that's watched Samoa Joe over the course of the last decade, and is super geeked about this match here, speak to that fan, and then speak to fans like me why we should be excited about this main event coming up. I mean, I, you know, I put over why you be you're excited about it because of the physicality. Obviously, Joe can work. I, I don't think I've you know his his work in the ring and let's say NXT had been as good as 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 his more top level work earlier in his career. Still, obviously, love watching him. Out of all those guys that made their run on the NXT main event level, I was let's say less geeked up for his NXT main events than I was. I thought even the end of that Finn Balor feud, some people loved it for me with that steel cage, wasn't doing it for me as much. I thought his rejuvenation, his rebranding on the main roster. When it started off as Triple H's muscle, wearing the suits, coming in with that real-life trash talk feel was all great. So I think that really 
paves the road for what could be a big build. You know, he did some of that on Raw Talk, not afraid, staring into the camera, saying, I'm coming for you, Brock. There's a new dynamic in here and that physically, you know, he matches up well against Brock. So you're obviously going to expect somebody who can put Brock on the, on the ropes a little bit here. It's not going to be somebody who's just going to be doing, so you know, a lot of flying moves, not a Seth Rollins type matchup for him. I thought, you know, like I said, his his ring work in the past had been better. It's You're still just going to get what you're coming for, which is physicality in this one. More of our takes on the Samoa Joe Brock Lesnar feud after Raw tomorrow night coming up on Wednesday's edition of In This Corner with Brian Campbell, WWE edition. You are listening, though, to the instant analysis of Extreme Rules. And one of the more extreme matches they had, I guess, based on the fact that a weapon was actually used tonight. How about the women's championship match, BC? Alexa Bliss goes over poor Bailey yet again. I thought this was a train wreck here. I think that you disagree based on a text that you sent me during the uh, during the event. Yeah, yeah, not not to not to not to show you my my goods and tease you ahead of time, but look, this is the straight reality of it. It may well, you be are a a sort tease. of it is a tease. I live my life as a tease. <laughs> it may be a backwards way to look at this match, but you know what? I love this match. I love this match one because it was different. It was about what five six minutes an abrupt finish. Here's what I really loved about this match. That doesn't necessarily have to coincide with the fact that we all love Bliss and we're all a little bit tired of Bailey in terms of the idea of her as a as a titleist, as a champion on the raw level. Here's why this really works. It really works because it wasn't WWE predictable booking when they have somebody that they want to go over, which as we talked about in the preview show heading into this, you had that feeling like it might be. Look at how some of the titles changed hands in recent months in ways that you didn't believe. When Bailey out of nowhere just goes over Charlotte. Charlotte had been on that incredible feud with Sasha Banks. She had been built up as the unbeatable one. No one beating her on pay-per-view. And then randomly Bailey beats her. And it didn't work. And then also I thought, you know, I've said this before. I thought Na- Naomi coming into the belt for how much you love her or not. There was no setup beyond that in the beginning to make you think that that would have been a believable scenario. That she had done enough on that level to step into a title. So that sort of preconditioned you to expect a certain style of booking. And I think we all expected a great possibility was for Bailey to go over, right? She had been destroyed in the buildup here. All this talk about how she's not extreme enough. We kind of expected the belt to end up back on her. So for one, that not to happen was refreshing and good. And two, for it to end in like a five to six minute borderline squash match that was one-sided, that was deliberate, that was a vicious beatdown. Sometimes you need that rare finish. Sometimes you need that Survivor Series Brock Lesnar Goldberg surprise finish because sometimes you need to represent pro wrestling as a real fight. And sometimes if you catch somebody on the chin, they're going to go down. And you know what? Bailey had her one chance within the storyline here to pick up that kendo stick off a pole, which is a ridiculous setup. Let's we'll look past that for a second. She had her chance to do it, she didn't. So storytelling wise, this match actually made a ton of sense. A lot of people on Twitter saying, oh, why do you only give him six minutes? It's It ended out of nowhere. It actually didn't because in reality, Alexa Bliss is the better superstar right now and overall. She's tougher. She's grittier. She's more vicious. Bailey had the chance to use the stick to a certain degree. She didn't do it. Bliss came through and destroyed her and fought off that one comeback that, that Bailey had attempted. So in the end, that's how that match should have ended. Bliss is the better wrestler. So refreshing-wise, not your typical great match. I didn't grade it a B-plus or an A or anything. I think I had it about a strong C-plus. But I really respected the fact that it told a believable story that in the end I said, you know what? That's consistent with how they build it up. This wasn't let's beat down Bailey for four weeks and then magically she wins on the pay-per-view. This was consistent. I applaud WWE for that. Are you kidding, man? First, First off, the match sucked. 
the match was terrible. So you're you're dead wrong on that. Number two, you just spent like 90 seconds praising the match and you go, oh, I gave it a solid C plus. It was awful. And the booking was terrible for it. I mean, Bailey, if this were real life and this were like a real life sport, you send her down to the minor leagues because her career is over at this point. You know, they are clearly doing this for another rematch here. They're going to tell the story that the one chance Bailey had to get extreme, she didn't. I think we're going to see another match between these two here. Here's the problem. No one cares about Bailey. She's not connecting enough with the audience. Which supports with that she, supports no. my my analysis. If you then, really think about it, it supports. Then, they, then my you buried yeah, but you buried her. Then then she's buried. Then what do you do with her? Then this was this was a burial. It was yeah, an hour. She got Sasha no Banks? not. She got no offense in, and she jobbed again. again. All right, but you know where Sasha Banks is right now? She's buried at, in on two hundred five live. So so at least Bailey's in a title match. And guess what? Sometimes you got to lose, and sometimes you got to lose hard. So it actually supports your opinion that she doesn't belong on this title level. No, th then book it differently because we're going to get another month of this now, and it's not working. And and if you're going to do it like that, then it can't be booked like that. I, I just thought it made her look super super weak. So unless she comes out super hot tomorrow on Raw and the crowd's into it and and somehow they get some heat behind this program again this is going to continue to die a slow death I thought that this was really bad here's the thing you guys are actually both right the match itself was terrible it was not entertaining it was not exciting it was not extreme it was nothing but I liked the story I liked that Alexa Bliss beat her down and kind of humiliated her and humbled her she was ruthless it helped Alexa Bliss's character grow it also showed that Bailey isn't extreme. She doesn't have that fire. She doesn't have the same competitive spirit as someone they like They buried her. They She's buried. buried. Her. They absolutely buried her. And why do I love that? Because what did I say on Wednesday, guys? I said they now have an opportunity to completely rebuild Bailey's character as she was in NXT. She was a lovable loser underdog who eventually put it all together and won the title. They ruined the opportunity to do that with her leading into WrestleMania. We discussed that last week. Now they have an opportunity to fully reset Bailey and tell her story differently as they did previously. That's why I love it. The match was terrible. Nick's 100% right. But the, well, the way they built look, the list, strong, and the potential they have to reset Bailey makes it very good. All right, let's let BC. Go ahead, bud. I was just going to say, like, I gave it a C plus because you can't give a five, six-minute match higher than that unless it's like Lesnar-Goldberg from WrestleMania that was just an action-packed. But, yeah. okay, was it not a typically great match? Yes. But I don't think you can call it terrible, guys, because – it actually was the only one that was a little bit extreme. I mean, Bailey was taking some pretty extreme kendo hits there. And again, it told a sort of interesting story that made sense in the end. So I, I did say it's terrible. I don't know. In the end, I felt a certain way coming out of there that you don't normally feel by the way they normally book things. So I don't think it was a failure. I'll say this as we're now past midnight on the East Coast. Monday Night Raw coming up later tonight now on Monday. We'll see if... They can recapture some heat here. So I'll withhold total judgment of this until Wednesday's edition in this corner with Brian Campbell. It's, this is the instant analysis of Extreme Rules, guys. Let's hit the Intercontinental Championship. It was the opener of the card. The Miz beats Dean Ambrose, BC, for the Intercontinental Championship. Yeah, in contention for the second best match. I mean, nothing's going to beat that main event. This was smart to put it up front to, to start the show with two established star names. We did, we all didn't want this feud to continue, but if you're going against the NBA Finals, put two stars in there like they did and give them the time. I think in the end, this exposed why having a six-match pay-per-view main card made a lot of sense and was intelligent. You not only allowed that main event to be really long, you allowed this first match to matter. And I think by doing this, guys, 
it sort of brought the prominence back to the Intercontinental Championship that it deserves, and that sometimes it slips and loses. And I felt the recent run with Ambrose, you know, it hasn't felt like the real 1A title by any means. I think this match told a really good story over, let's say, uh, I got the times in front of me, over tw- exactly exactly 20 minutes was this match. And I think you told a really good story in the fact that, you know, you had that DQ stipulation, and they sure, sure as heck teased you five, six times that it was going to end on another DQ, similar to what The Miz did last week on, on Raw with using Elias Sampson, you know, forcing the DQ. I like that there was enough of a tease early that Ambrose could accidentally force a DQ, then enough of a tease late that The Miz could create one, yet in the end, he's a huge... He uses a heel distraction to get a borderline clean victory. Didn't need the DQ. That storytelling top to bottom worked for me. The action in the ring, pretty strong, pretty strong. All in all, told a good story. And Maurice, who we know we credit a lot for rejuvenating The Miz in 2016. Nick, Maurice has good timing. She didn't always, but she's coming around as the perfect accessory. I thought she did very well in her spot tonight. I thought, look, this is, like I said, has a chance to be the second best match on the card when you look back. And I think that she looks great also, which obviously certainly helps here. So a couple things on this match. The match itself was excellent. I'm with you, man. I thought it was the second best in-ring match on the show. Very good. So I liked the in-ring product. I said at the top that there were a couple things that WWE did tonight that I really didn't like. I thought they were sort of WCW-esque, and I don't mean that as a compliment, right? So you had some real stupidity booking-wise in this match, and I'm talking about the nonsense with the referee at the end of it, when, like, you're teasing, like, is the referee going to call for the disqualification or not? Like, I am an educated wrestling fan. I'm turning 34 years old this week. Happy early birthday to me. Don't insult my intelligence by having the referee thinking, am I going to really call for the disqualification here? Like, obviously Dean Ambrose didn't run into you on purpose. Obviously Maurice did not smack the Miz on Dean Ambrose's behalf. Like, it's just it's too much of a stretch like and I understand when you enter into a contract as a fan of professional wrestling that you have to expect like a little bit theater of the absurd and you have to like let logic go a little bit sometimes but that's a little too much for me like that that takes it like it's way too scripted at that point in a way that doesn't make sense in the real world so I give them very high props for what I consider it to be a very good match. I really, that kind of soured it for me, though, the stuff with the referee and Willie or won't he uh, hit the DQ. Yeah. Well, I thought, look, well, King, Silver King take it. I thought the first time when Cohen didn't bite it, I thought that was well. That that actually was a was a surprise in the book. No, that no, no, but like, no, but like, no, but like, why would he? Why would he think that that Maurice smacked the Miz on behalf of Dean? But that's like, why just, he didn't so go dumb. through with it. So you got to give him credit there. He didn't go through with it and do the DQ. It was a tease that was part of the larger story they told. Silver King, it was, take a, it. It, was it was a stupid story. No, see, that's the thing. See, Brian's right here. He's a wrestling referee, so he knows that. Oh yeah, sometimes valets and wives and girlfriends do turn on their guys, and they do Stop. do things like that. So that is why it's. It's kind of viable. I don't know. I liked it. What I liked most, you know, I understand your problems with it, Nick. They make sense. I liked that those things happened in sequence at the end of the match. I liked that the referee didn't buy the bait on either. And I liked that because of those things happening, distracted Dean Ambrose and Miz got the clean victory because it is stronger than him actually winning by disqualification. The potential for disqualification, that hovering over the match created the opportunity for the Miz to capitalize on a distracted Dean Ambrose. So that's why I loved it. And I thought the way they sequenced it together with Maurice walking out, Dean Ambrose being distracted or the referee being distracted, Dean Ambrose getting thrown into the referee, then him walking outside the ring. It was really scripted and really positioned very well. So 
That's why I loved it so much. And I thought it was a great match overall. Brian, at the very beginning, you said we were all done with it. I wasn't done with it. I was happy that they continued this feud because they're really good foils and they work well against each other. Now, am I happy it's over? Yeah, but we're going to get a rematch probably at Great Balls of Fire. So we probably have one more month (laughs) of Dean Ambrose and The Miz. Now, I will apologize to WWE for saying it was WCW booking. If it were WCW booking, the referee would have definitely called for the first disqualification and it would have made no sense. And we will have that debate, the great WCW debate, coming up at some point on a future edition of In This Corner with Brian Campbell. But guys, let's move on to the Tag Team Championship. Sheamus and Cesaro going over the Hardy Boys in that steel cage match. Thought it was pretty good. BC, what say you? I think this is the one match that sort of touches what I touched up front, was that a lot of the stipulations, a lot of things didn't make sense. This match took a while. I thought it was a bit of a cluster in the in the beginning in terms of not really telling a story, just a lot of action. And I felt that, of course, it, it succeeded in the end. I mean, I gave it a good grade, gave it a solid B, because in the end it was very entertaining. But the timeline was very split. I'm sure you guys' timeline was the same, of people just ripping this sort of stipulation. Okay, the stipulation was steel cage, you have to ex- escape. Both guys have to have to touch the floor. And Brian, can I interject here quickly on this to your point here? This was more WCW stuff, and I'm just going to support what you said here. Like, it makes no sense. Like, walk out of the cage. Like, why are they climbing, trying to climb? It, it, it makes no It's That's why I don't like the steel cage gimmick. So I think that those people saying that are right. So I'm done with the gimmick of, of having to escape a cage. And that's always been a, a WWE thing from the 80s, where everybody else was sort of, you have a regular match inside the cage, and the purpose of the cage is that it, it keeps people out for, and it keeps people from escaping. Like, so the, all that, right? And it adds a weapon to it. I, I think they had a good run in the in the whole escape process. You know, you had Hogan and Orndorff almost touching at the same time. You had Michaels doing it. They've done that gimmick a lot. Did they pull that gimmick off in this match in the end? Yes. It was kind of exciting to see Matt Hardy drag Jeff. But I'm sick of that. I'm sick of that gimmick. And I think that's what got a lot of people upset. You know, this one had the big spots. It worked. It entertained you, even if a lot of it didn't make sense. And I think the fact that you were in a spot confused when you're like, wait, Jeff Hardy already left the match. So isn't he out? And now he's back in. But that deleted his original being out. I think the fact that they didn't explain that and they left that open, that was a negative here. That's why people blew up on the timeline. Again, you have to. That's where you had to draw the line in the sand. Say, can I be just say that I'm entertained without nitpicking too much? They did give you room to nitpick. I don't know, guys. They explained it. I thought pretty well in the broadcast. They made it pretty clear that it's an escape thing. They have to be escaped at the same time. They got to be on the floor at the same time. I don't know. I mean, for me, I enjoyed the match. You saw Jeff Hardy do some moves off the top. You saw white noise from the top rope inside the cage. And since when is a cage meant to keep people? I mean, I guess technically it's meant to keep people out and and keep the match inside the ring. But it's a cage. It's an open top. That's what a Hell in a Cell is for. This match was created for a stipulation so you could use it as a weapon. And so you had some type of unique, different finish and also a way so the Hardy Boys could lose the titles without being pinned or submitted. And that's exactly and be, what happened. That's the best be, point. That That's probably the best point, the, the way you protect them in, in that regard. And I like the belts going on the heels. What do you got, Nick? Um, I th- You're more referring to like the old school cages, more so, like you said, than the WWE cages. The cages meant to keep people out of actually yeah, look, that was the blow off, right? You had a good hot feud. Yeah. You end it in a cage because the managers suddenly can't interfere. And now you yep. have the weapon. You know, that's, that's what it. you're talking about. Gotcha. Um, I thought the match was, was, was good. Like I said, for me, it loses all believability when... That all of a sudden they have to now they're taking their time walking out of the cage because they're waiting for Matt to slowly descend down so you get the dramatic moment. Like 
give it a rest here. Like, we are intelligent people watching this. Like, no one wa- – it's one thing when you've got the guy doing the slow walk up the ladder because a ladder match is really I was going to say, that's the only area where I'll reserve it because I'll reserve my anger for them when a guy is slowly tiptoeing up It was up just there. egregious. I don't know. I, I, I just found it to be egregious. And my last word on this, if anyone wants to chime in on this, and then we'll close with some rapid-fire stuff – um, I think you break up the Hardys at this point because I don't know what now you do with this incarnation of the Hardy Boys tag team. Now that they've dropped the belts, there has been no character development since they came back from WrestleMania. People are still pining for the broken gimmick. I think that Jeff is better off as a single star here. So I don't know how you guys feel about that or what we're going to get from the Hardys coming up tomorrow night on Raw. Any thoughts before we move on to the rest of the card? Well, you know, that Hardy's been beaten up a lot. Over the last three weeks, both on Raw and in this match, when Jeff actually left the match and left him by himself in the ring. So I think there's the potential that they could start using this angle to pull them apart and, and have Matt get upset and kind of go through the whole process. What do you think, Brian? Isn't that what I we think want? You're, right, right. Because, look, it's time for that because they're going to become – like we like we talked about. They're going to become a bad nostalgia act soon. And if you saw the – with Adam and I, we, we, we talked to each other while it happened on that pre-show. If you saw the interview with the Hardys, Matt was – Matt didn't even give you a drop of the broken gimmick, and it was really boring to hear him talk. Nothing. So not only would it would it work well to have them work against each other, which we've seen in the past, and they do great, but if you are hiding up your sleeve, the the long form uh you know, the long form unveiling of the broken gimmick, and you want to set up a scenario in which Matt get, gets actually broken in TNA, how he did get broken was when Jeff had what Jeff had a motorcycle accident and it broke them up as a tag team and it they had to lose the belt the TNA tag team belts because of it and it, suddenly they started fighting with each other and before you know it they had to fight and that was that first great you know the broken gimmick that they did with the special so if they're still going to unveil that deletion. I want to see them so if they're going to have the final deletion and there's still a chance that WWE's hiding that up their sleeves then if you want to get Matt broken, this is probably the best way to get there. So I think in both sides of it, it accomplishes the same goal of of avoiding them becoming stale. You don't want to see them becoming stale because like we talked about a million times, regular Matt Hardy at this point in his career, not that interesting. All right, guys, three more things for us to hit on the card here. We'll do it in rapid fire fashion. Brian, let's start off with Neville defending the Cruiserweight Championship successfully. He beats Austin Aries. I thought it was a very good match. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to give this the edge in where I say this was the second best match of the evening. Just slightly above, for my money, above Miz and Ambrose. And do I love the Cruiserweights too much? Yes, I do. But this has been one heck of a feud. And I think this shows you that it's time to end it here. And I think if you look in the end, I don't always like when somebody gets protected by a finish or protected by the booking. But if you want Austin Aries to eventually break free from the Cruiserweight division, which is only something we've been speculating on this show. Like, he's so good as a Cruiserweight. He's got great history in TNA as a as a heavyweight, let's say, as a regular performer. That he could actually do wonders on the main roster because he talks so well. So if you want to do that, the way he's been booked in each of these defeats hasn't been that bad, right? Two times Neville cheated to win. And then this time you actually get the tap out where Neville in a submission match tapped out. But of course he did it outside the ring. So they couldn't have the finish. And then, you know, you see Aries losing a hard foul match where he took some big spots, missed that splash, the, the suicide dive outside the ring, hit the barrier. That set him up for the red arrow. And then the finish with the submission. I thought great that you protect him. Great that this feud is really delivered both on Raw, both on 205 Live. This match is fantastic. I want the long-term money feud for Neville to come against Cedric Alexander like we talked about. But this feud encapsulated it, wrap it up, put a frame on it. This was as good as it will get in this new Cruiserweight division since the launch of the CWC and 205 Live. It's going to be hard for somebody to beat this feud, I think, when you look back. 
Two notes before we move this along here. How about that finish? You referenced it. The red arrow into the rings of Saturn was really awesome looking. When you had Austin Aries looking like he was trying to get out of the way, he hits the red arrow flush on his back directly into the rings of Saturn. Aries did a fantastic job selling it, so a really great ending to that match. And Austin Aries tweeting after the match in character, most likely, that time for a career evaluation now. So maybe that could be um, the beginnings of him now moving out of the cruiserweight division and onto the main roster. Bry, how about Elias Sampson, the drifter? I saw you on Twitter that you were sort of into what we saw from Mr. Sampson tonight. Yeah, look at Poffer. This was this wasn't the best use of him that we've seen, but I think the fact that he did show up on the main card, not the kickoff show, that they actually built a you know three four minute segment around him. It didn't go anywhere. No one broke it up, but he came out and he played his song and he pretty much ripped the the plight of Baltimore and how crappy of a city it is inside the lyrics of the song. He's yeah. a heat seeking missile. It worked. Bottom yo, line. it's I gotta be a yo. You were right, man. You killed me a couple weeks ago in that debate when he what what was. The line he goes, please hold your applause for the end of the song. Like that was a little honky tonk man, right? When honky tonk man would come out in the eighties and say, "Thank you, you've been a great audience." And they had been booing him the entire time. Why? Why would you say that to us? Except there's like a little bit of a sinister edge to this character that I don't. I don't think we've seen yet. So very good right now. I actually laughed out loud a couple times. I've probably yeah. done a full one eighty on Elias Sampson, the drifter. Silver King, real quick, break my heart here. Is this going somewhere? Is he going to be like a title contender, or is this just the the flavor of the month of you know the gimmick of the moment, and then he'll be basically Kurt Hawkins? two months where are we at no i think they're doing something with him and you know elias sampson looks like the old school type of guy who would hold the intercontinental title like i i haven't seen it from him previously i definitely didn't see it in nxt i never would have told you he'd hold the ic title but so far from what i've seen on raw the way they're building him they let him get a squash match they gave him that win over dean ambrose via you know via a little interference I'll tell you, man, he's looking like a guy who in six months might hold the Intercontinental title going into WrestleMania or something. Who knows? The one thing you I want to see, see from him, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you don't see guys look worse in NXT and then better on the main roster. I mean, I'm sure we can Never. go over history. Maybe there's one or two, but you really don't see that. It's always the other way around where the gimmick almost gets ruined to a certain degree once they get you know up against the big boys. I think they need to decide what they want to do with him because I think you could either make him be a really good, serious heel a la Bray Wyatt or you just go full comedy with him and he does the full Wayne Ferris, full honky-tonk man, which I think would be pretty funny also. So we'll see where they go with it. Um, he should play a role on Monday Night Raw coming up later tonight on Monday. So we'll see what happens there. We'll discuss it on Wednesday's edition of In This Corner. But we wrap up the Extreme Rules instant analysis. And I purposefully put the Elias Sampson thing in before this mixed tag team match that we saw between Rich Swan and Sasha Banks, Noam Dar, Alicia Fox. I have nothing to say about this waste of time. Brian Campbell, do you have anything noteworthy to add? No, I just like that they didn't belabor it. It was a come down popcorn match, you know, five minutes max, whatever it was. And they put it right after that really good intercontinental title match. Uh, yeah, look, it's just to keep Sasha busy. The pairing with Rich Swan that we talked about, it's overachieving. I don't think we were meant to learn anything else from this. Silver King, you got anything on this one? No, I mean, Banks was the one that had to go over. I do want to bring up one topic, though, that I think Nick might have forgot. Nick, did you care that Finn Balor came out without the demon getup? No, it's a, it's, it's actually, it's, it, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that and I'm happy that you did because it did go noteworthy noted that when he came out, he was not wearing it. Um, I think that they're saving that probably for whatever his next big, big matches, whether it's a title match or I don't know what it's going to be, but I think that they're going to save that for something big. Now you could easily counter me and say, this wasn't a big enough occasion for it. And I wouldn't be able to disagree with you. I think that they're going to work that into a one-on-one storyline with him for a big one-on-one match. And I think the next time that's the next time we'll see it. And I hope what the, when you do see it, I hope that they save it for a time when, 
like we mentioned, it's sort of a suddenly a Teen Wolf thing where it's like break glass if I feel like I can't win. You know, if I got if I got beaten down by Brock Lesnar, like we talked about, then oh man, I got to go back to the demon to bring me back out of it. But if you're I, I think do- it's more for more one on one matches, right? Silver King, if they're going to save it, then it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think to do it in a fatal five way match, especially one that he wasn't going to win. Well, if you're not going to do it for this match, then maybe you only do it for title matches or where something is so on the line. I don't necessarily know that. I'm going to buy them bringing it in as a character for him. Like, like you like a, like a Mick Foley mankind dude love where you have to switch. Well, why not though? Like, why, why, why wouldn't, why, why wouldn't you buy that? But you bought I, it the other way. I, I just don't think that they're going to go in that direction and give him a split personality type of thing. I, 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 for me, it's any, every big match that he's in, it doesn't have to be a raw main event or a singles match, you know, opening up a pay-per-view. But if you're in a number one contendership match and, and a lot is on the line there, you should be in that gimmick if you're going to have that gimmick at all. So, you know, Balor in NXT, he wore it every single time he was in a title match or a major match. And if he was just on NXT fighting someone without the title on the line or nothing important, he dressed normal. So that's yeah. what I'd like them to continue to do. They're kind of tweaking Nakamura's gimmick. They're tweaking Balor's gimmick. I don't like either of them. And maybe it's just because I bought into them so hard on NXT and I loved it so much. But I just don't really like the way they're going with him. And that leather jacket, I'll say it again. Has to go. <laughs> well, 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 they're now selling that leather jacket in the WWE <laughs> shop. I saw that on Twitter tonight. So, so it is not going anywhere. I also will not be purchasing, even yeah. though I have said that I like it. My, 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 I want to give one note here on the, the mixed tag team match. Like Michael Cole's out there going, Rich Swan. this guy loves to have fun. Like, is there anything worse to say, like to, to like to try and get someone over than this guy loves to have fun? Like, like that's really what you're trying to sell us on with this guy, Rich Swan. He's a fun loving guy. That's really going to get people <laughs> to cheer from or plunk their money down to see a guy. Rich Swan. So, BC, I'll give you the final word here. Anything that you want to give us here on Extreme Rules before we wrap up and look forward to Monday Night Raw? Uh, you know, it overachieved in, in the best sense because this is still, let's not forget, guys, this is the wasteland of WWE programming for the year, right? Post-WrestleMania, before Money in the Bank, you get a lot of feuds that don't matter, and I think that what was good about this one is you could have got a singles match for the title where where the B side of that singles match of the main title just just isn't a guy that that should be in that and it's really a waste of time. I mean, do you remember when when Rollins cashed in at WrestleMania 31 of course? Then he went into that feud with Randy Orton for the next few pay-per-views and it stunk. And it, and it and it really did nothing for you. That's I think a bad bad version of the wasteland. The fact that we're in the wasteland and we still had the five biggest stars outside of Lesnar on Raw in a main event in a match that gave you the feels and a strong undercard underneath it. The product overall right now is not great, but this was a good night. This was a good moment. I'll give them that. They got a battle that they got to win, though, and it's the fact that the ratings every week are getting worse and worse. And if you read the the insider's point of view, it's not so much about cord cutters. It's getting worse and worse. And my two cents on that is, guys, when the ratings on TV get bad is when WWE is forced to respond and go into action. You don't see Vince anymore on TV unless they're coming off the quote-unquote record low of Raw ratings in the past decade, whatever that is of the moment. And I think we just came off a Raw that was literally the second worst rated Raw in the history of Raw. So maybe I'm getting a little too excited for no reason, but along with the fact that Brock Lesnar will be back on your TV soon on Monday nights, which always raises the rent, maybe we're going to get some other surprises coming forth that will make the run up until Money in the Bank and heading into SummerSlam more than it normally is or more than it should be. So I'm quick to be an optimist, and I'm going back to that. I'm dialed in for the moment. We'll see what happens. I, uh, t- yo, you just excited the hell out of me, man. I thought you sold that really well. Now I'm pumped for Monday Night Raw coming April. Before we close this out, Bri, outside of what we've got coming up Wednesday, WWE edition of In This Corner, 
Carter, what do you've got cooking this week on the combat sports front, boxing and UFC MMA? Absolutely. We'll be hitting you up with, with a real fun boxing episode this week. My man, Rafe Bartholomew, will get back on it. We got a good interview with Andre Ward. will be, of course, in the rematch with Sergey Kovalev just in two weeks. Big fight on the boxing side. Lots to talk about there. Be sure to download that. And before short, of course, to, to just get, get another sample of WWE this week, another injection of that performance-enhancing audio with the Week in Review. You know what I'm talking about, Nick. I, indeed I do. I also know that it is 12.40 p.m. here on the East Coast, and that means a.m. on the East Coast. I'm so loopy that I don't even know what the hell, what time it is. It's time for us to go. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am Nick Costos. You have been listening to In This Corner with Brian Campbell in B.C. He's got two words for you as we close it out. We out. We out.